Welcome to our Catechism class. It's a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help you learn Christian doctrine with a warm and practical application. Each lesson has its own study guide, and the web link to find that guide can be found in the episode notes. Okay, let's start the lesson. So welcome, welcome to our Catechism class. You join us again as we look at the doctrine of justification, our first look at this very important Christian doctrine. We've been spending quite some time with the instructor. We've been going through the clauses of the Apostles' Creed. We've been learning the vital truths that are contained in that classic statement of Christian doctrine. And we've learned about God the Father, the creator and sustainer of this world, who is our Father and who dwells in heaven's splendor. We've learned about our Lord Jesus Christ, who is God's only begotten Son and our Lord, before whom we bow and no other. We've learned about his virgin conception, about his birth, about his perfect, sinless life. We've learned about his suffering right throughout his earthly life, but especially at the end of that life when he suffered under the Romans and the Jews and was crucified on a Roman cross, bearing all of our sin and humiliation, bearing our shame, bearing the curse for us. We've learned how and why he was buried, And we have learned how he rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven, where he sits enthroned at the right hand of the Father on high, giving heavenly gifts to his people, defending them and interceding for them. And we've learned that one day he shall rise from that exalted position and return to this earth, physically and bodily, this time to be the judge of all men, both the living and the dead. We have learned about the person and work of the Holy Spirit, whose role is to point us to Christ and through whom Christ dwells in our hearts and in the Church, which is holy and universal, a called-out people, the bride and body of Christ. We have explored the idea of Christian fellowship, fellowship with God and fellowship with other Christians, and we have learned what it means to be a saint. We have learned about the nature of sin and how those sins are forgiven in Christ. And a little bit about the coming day of the Lord, when our physical bodies will be resurrected from the dust and made like Christ's glorious body and reunited with our souls. And lastly, about everlasting life. Now all of that constitutes a body of divinity a solid basis for our Christian faith, the essentials of the faith that has not changed for 2,000 years. As our catechist asked us in Lord's Day 7, question 22, what then must a Christian believe? All that is promised us in the gospel, which the articles of our universal and undoubted Christian faith teach us in summary. And that summary has taken us 53 lessons, and we haven't even scraped the surface. But we have reached the end of that summary, and now we're faced with a challenge in Lord's Day 23, question 59. But what does it help you now that you believe all this? 
And our answer is, in Christ, I am righteous before God and heir to life everlasting. Now, the key here is the phrase, I am righteous before God. Over three questions in Lord's Day 23, the Catechist teaches us about the foundation of the Christian faith, about how I can be right with God, and it's called justification. And it's what we are going to consider in this lesson, an introduction to the doctrine of justification. And then in the following two lessons, questions 60 and 61. So here's Paul's famous words from the book of Romans. Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I'm Bob McAvoy, and this is the Semper Reformata Podcast. Before we go any further, let's attempt to define our terms. What do righteousness and justification actually mean? The word righteous translates the Greek word dikosone, and it describes the condition of being in a right standing legally before God, not to be under the condemnation of the broken law. The word justification comes from a variant of the same word, dikaiou, And it indicates the means by which we become righteous, how we enter into that right standing before God. When Zacharias Ursinus, the main author of the Catechism, defines these terms in his commentary on the Catechism, he goes into very careful detail. He discusses the difference between uncreated righteousness and created righteousness. Uncreated righteousness is only found in God, that righteousness which is found in God alone and which is the absolute standard of righteousness by which we will all be measured. Psalm 11 verse 7 says, For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. In Second Corinthians 5 and 21, For our sake, He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, uncreated righteousness. And then there's created righteousness found in man, mankind. Created righteousness is a legal concept. It requires either the keeping of God's law or the imposition of a penalty when that law has been broken. But our righteousness always falls short of God's righteousness, always falls short of God's perfect standards. Even the very best of us are sinners, and even the good deeds that we do are tainted with sin, and they fall very far short of God's standards of righteousness. Many years ago, there was a game show on British television where the contestants had to look at an image and try to guess the catchphrase that was being depicted on the image. Very often they got the answer wrong. 
And when they did, the game show host would say, it's good, but it's not right. There's a distinction between good and right. And it's important that we know that to understand that our good works do not get us to heaven, do not make us right before God. Good is a moral term. Right is a legal term. Our good deeds may be morally acceptable in society. They may be beneficial to others. But that doesn't make them or us right in the sight of God. We're not right. Let's call that unrighteousness in the sight of God. We sometimes refer to this attempt to make ourselves right with God as self-righteousness. That's something that Paul describes for us in Romans 10 verse 2 to 3 when he's speaking about the Jews of his day. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. The John MacArthur Study Bible has a good quotation here. It says this legal or forensic term comes from the Greek word for righteous, and it means to declare righteous. This verdict includes pardon from the guilt and penalty of sin and the imputation of Christ's righteousness to the believer's account, which provides for the positive righteousness man needs to be accepted by God. God declares a sinner righteous solely on the basis of the merits of Christ's righteousness. God imputed a believer's sin to Christ's account in his sacrificial death. Justification is a one-time legal declaration with continuing results, not an ongoing process. It is peace with God, not a subjective internal sense of calm and serenity, but an external objective reality. So we have our definitions. Righteousness is to be right with God. Justification is how we are made right with God. And we need this justification, as we have learned, because our own righteousness falls short and leaves us condemned. We need to depend on someone else's righteousness, to have another's righteousness credited to our account. Because Jesus was perfectly righteous and without sin, at the cross he imputed his righteousness to all who believe in him, and we are thus accounted as righteous before God. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 from the Amplified Bible He made Christ, who knew no sin, to judicially be sin on our behalf, so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. That is, we would be made acceptable to him and placed in a right relationship with him by his gracious loving kindness. But what does the Catechist mean when he says, in Christ? In Christ, I am righteous before God and heir to life everlasting. Being in Christ seems to be a favourite phrase of the Apostle Paul. For example, in Galatians 3 and 26 to 28, he writes, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptised into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, 
for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Philippians 3 and verse 9, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So according to Paul, Christians can be said to have put on Christ. We're sinners, but we have put on the righteousness of Christ. We have been made right with God because Christ has paid our fine for the broken law at the cross. Again, 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we're no longer condemned by the law, because we are clothed with Christ's righteousness, just like a robe covers a person's clothes. In Isaiah 61 and 10, it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. It is said that when the Reformation came, the trappings of Roman Catholic worship were removed from the churches. Statues, organs, altars, and of course priestly vestments and adornments. Priests became pastors and preachers who no longer needed to dress as priests. But why then did many of these pastors wear black robes? Well, there's a very simple explanation. Most of them, having lost the benefices and payments and advantages and status of the Roman system, were literally dirt poor. They toiled and they laboured in the fields and they wore the soiled garments of the labourer. So in the pulpit they donned the Geneva gown, a black coat or robe that went from the shoulders to the feet so that the congregation would not see their poverty, but instead would listen to God's word read and explained and hopefully see Christ in his word. So they looked at the man in the pulpit but in fact they were looking at Christ and his word. When God looks at us, he sees Christ's robe of righteousness. He sees Jesus and he declares us not guilty. We are justified just as if we had never sinned. Romans 8 and 1 There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. So to be in Christ means that God no longer sees our imperfections. He sees the righteousness of his own Son. Ephesians 2 and 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. But the Catechist also says, In Christ I am righteous before God and heir to life everlasting. So we must ask, how am I an heir to eternal life? Well, Christians being in Christ and no longer being under the condemnation of the law have been given a new status before God. We are now at peace with God. Colossians 1 and 21 to 22. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless 
and above reproach in his sight. We once were rebels and sinners, but our new relationship with God is now that of an adopted son. Now, in ancient Near Eastern culture, a son has certain privileges and rights and responsibilities, and one of those rights is the right of inheritance. And while we know that in the new heaven and earth there will be both men and women, after all, Second Corinthians 6 and 18 says, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Yet in status, we are all sons. Galatians 3 and 26 down to 29. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We have the same status. We are sons of God, heirs, heirs of eternal life, Titus 3 and 7. And having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So we've learned about righteousness. God's righteousness and our righteousness And we've learned about justification, how Christ's righteousness is transferred, is imputed to my account at the cross, where Jesus took my sins and clothed me in his cloak of righteousness. And that changes how God views me, for he declares me not guilty, and he brings me into his family, adopts me as his son, and makes me his heir and a joint heir with Christ. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Join me next time for question 60, when we will learn how we obtain that transfer of Christ's righteousness to us about justification by faith alone. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.